Blessings and peace to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. Uh, welcome to another episode of Roots of Faith. So, a child, some wandering magicians, and a star. What does all that have to do with what we're going to be talking about today? Well, uh, you guys are interested, we'll go ahead and jump on in. So, just uh, if you haven't subscribed to either our YouTube channel or following us on Facebook, uh, go ahead and do that. Also, if you find these videos and anything that we're putting out uh, interesting or helpful, like, share, get the word out. Uh, we uh, really appreciate all that you guys do. Uh, I hope every time I get on here on Sunday afternoon it's a blessing to you so today I want to talk about epiphany now for many of you you may be wondering what are you talking about when you talk about epiphany did you have some magical thought or some God reveal something to you that you just had to come on out and talk about well no not in this case in this case I'm referring to the sixth day of January, which on the church liturgical calendar, is the Feast of Epiphany. Now, perhaps you're like me, and until about a year ago, you had no idea what any of the liturgical calendar or anything was. If you grew up in more of a free church, like a Baptist or evangelical free, or uh, just about most non-denominational churches, you probably don't have a whole lot of experience with it. But Dominantly, it's mostly focused on within Roman Catholic, uh, Episcopal, Anglican, Methodist traditions. So this is something, as I've been digging into the post-apostolic uh, age roots of your Christian faith, some I've been really coming into contact with and understanding and finding value in a lot of the things that went Christian, Judeo-Christianity went from being this small sect of Judaism, was forced out of the temple, was growing advancedly in a more Gentile area. I've kind of been looking into what the church fathers wrote, how what we know today as the Christian faith has evolved and advanced in from its early Hebraic roots. So... First, I'll go ahead and talk about my experience with Epiphany. Uh, the actual very first time I had any understanding of it was a few years ago. Uh, one of my students, uh, his mother, sent us a, uh, me and my co-worker, they brought in this big thing of this crazy looking bread in a big old crown roll. And I had absolutely no idea what the heck it was, neither did my co-worker. I get home and my wife's like, oh, El Dia de los Reyes. And I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. Um, I don't know. And she got it told me from her Hispanic friends who, had, who were very deep at Roman Catholics who had uh, traditionally kept this day where you get this bread that someone bakes and they stuff these little plastic baby Jesus in it. And then whoever gets the baby Jesus is the godfather of Jesus and some people have this crazy tradition where the person who is that godfather has to bring 
has to make food for the person who baked the bread. Uh, so this bread is actually called Rosca de Reyes. It's also known as Three Kings Cake. It was actually kind of cool that half of a cake lasted us probably more than it should have because by the time we got down to the very last bit of it between my wife and I it was pretty much stale but it was kind of really cool uh, they, I have actually a whole link in the descriptions of different ways cultures across the world actually celebrate on this feast so now I want to get into what is the Feast of Epiphany well of uh, one of my favorite books that I've been looking into a book called Christian Worship by Franklin Siegler and Randall Bradley uh, gives a little brief paragraph on in one of the chapters as they were going through the liturgical calendar in which they talk about how epiphany the term comes from the Greek word meaning manifestation or showing forth epiphany is the manifestation of the word made flesh or the showing forth of God in Christ this season brings together several different themes, all of which show forth God in Christ and God with us. And as Christ, the light of the world, the Western Church traditionally focused on the visit of the Magi during Epiphany, so focusing on the three wise men coming to Jesus, and then the Eastern Churches, the Greek and the Slavic Churches, they focus actually on the baptism of Christ in the Jordan. These themes are as well as the wedding feast in Canaan are appropriate focus for Epiphany. And traditionally white and gold are appropriate colors for the festival. It's kind of funny when you read all these festivals and what the church colors are, how often white and gold actually appear in just about every single tradition. And they go forth both to represent the shining forth of Christ into the world. So, Epiphany is a tw 12 days after Christmas. It ends the liturgical Christmas season. So, if you didn't know on the liturgical calendar, the Christmas season doesn't start after Thanksgiving and go till Christmas Day. It actually starts Christmas Day and goes forth till the next 12 days till we get to this Feast of Epiphany, which is celebrated 12 days after Christmas on the 6th of January or the 19th for some Orthodox churches because in most Eastern Orthodox churches, they celebrate Christmas on January 7th. So to all any Orthodox listener out there, hope you guys are getting ready for a great Christmas. And this time of Christmas does call to remembrance the wise men, also called the three kings, also called magi. Uh, there's a whole long conversation on how we get these interpretations that we'll slightly talk about today, but I definitely encourage you to also look into those as well. Epiphany is also known when some churches remember when Jesus was baptized when he was about 30 and started to teach people about God. Again, the focus is on the manifestation of Christ in his both humanity and divinity 
So just as the Magi who traveled from the east came to recognize him as as the king child, we also have focuses of him doing being baptized. We have the picture of the Trinity together with the Father speaking of the Son and the Holy Spirit descending like the dove. And then we also talk about the wedding of Canaan, which is first manifestation of divinity as his miracle preaching started out. It's also known as God's revelation to the Gentiles. This is especially important because when we read the story, the Christmas or the oftentimes part of the Christmas story includes the Magi coming. Uh, if you go through the Christmas story through Matthew, it's like Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem and oh hey, here's these three kings after Jesus is born coming and laying gifts at their feet. And so, one of the things is when you read your Bible, it's not always chronologically. So, this has often led to misrepresentations of the Magi visiting baby Jesus in the manger. Actually, one of my nativities right here kind of shows that here. Where we have three Magi coming forth in the stable with Mary and Joseph. Uh, we talked a little bit about this in the Advent series about how they most likely were in an actual outdoor stable, uh, varying on which way you take it. Some people think it was a cave, some people think it was a stable. Most likely it was the lower regions of the Jewish home where all the animals were kept. It's not really that theologically important. The importance is to know that when Mary and Joseph came forth to bring Jesus, they were rejected by their own people. So, the important the, getting back to what I was talking about with the theology of Matthew is it's interesting because Matthew is the most Jewish book. In the New Testament. It is the book that focuses on the history of Jesus as the King of Israel. A lot of scholars debate whether this book was originally written in Greek or in Hebrew. Uh, there's a whole lot of debate. There's been in more recent years a big heavy leaning towards the Hebrew, the Hebrew language being the May, the original written language and then fastly translated into Greek to get out to the masses. Uh, jury's still out on that one there, but again, another interesting side topic there. So the importance for that is the fact that Luke refers, focuses on the shepherds and Jewish people coming, but Matthew, because of the divinity reasons, focuses on these Gentiles coming forth to lift up the new king of Israel because they find such importance in Jesus coming to this earth. I'm going to read a quote uh, from a woman by the name of Elsa Cheney who posted 
uh, this from a Catholic view, but I think it's very interesting even for us Protestants. For many years in the English-speaking world, the Feast of Epiphany has been overshadowed by the Christmas. But unless we realize that the significance of that great day, we see only one side of the mystery of the Incarnation. Now after contemplating the staggering fact that God has become a human child, we turn to look at this mystery from the opposite angle and realize that this seemingly helpless child is in fact the omnipotent God, the King and ruler of the universe. The Feast of Christ's divinity completes the Feast of His humanity. It fulfills all the Advent longing for the King, who has come with great power and majesty. We see that whereas Christmas is the family feast of Christianity, Epiphany is the great feast of the Catholic Church. And no, this is written from a Catholic, but even for those of us who understand what the word Catholic means, which is universal, one can interpret that for all Christianity, this is the feast of our understanding of Christ's revelation to humanity in both divinity and his humanity himself being the God-man in flesh. So, I want to focus on four very interesting points as I was studying through uh, this idea of Epiphany and what we can learn from this feast. Uh, one pastor, Mark Jeske, who is the pastor of St. Marcus Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, has written a few thoughts on the subject of divine manifestation, which would be the first point I think we should focus on. He writes, Epiphany is a day to commemorate God's outward, tangible expression of love toward us. The journey of the Magi who were led to Bethlehem by a miraculous star revealed Jesus came to draw people to himself. The Epiphany sometimes is called Christmas for Gentiles because it celebrates the day when people from far away came to worship that the light of the holiness and glory of Jesus Christ is shining through his earthly disguise and it reaches to the far corners of the world because the forgiveness he bought for everybody. I think that's an important thing for us to kind of focus. We focus a lot on the Christmas story during the days leading up to Christmas. As we were doing the Advent series, we talked a lot about how we were focusing on preparing for Christ to come. Well, Epiphany kind of gets to capitalize that off and gets to tell us, oh, hey, here's something important, that Christ is here. And he, we get to see and look at his glory, the glory of God beheld to us, and that everyone, regardless of your lineage, regardless of your nationality, you are welcome to encounter God wherever you are. This is both the points that St. Matthew and St. Luke were pushing when they were for focusing on the fact that Christ came and was first received by shepherds, people who were word wasn't even reliable in court, people who were the outcasts of the world, they come forth 
to they are the ones going forth preaching the gospel. Luke's gospel is the divine nature of the upside down kingdom in which God takes and topples the hierarchy of everything that we expect it, the world and how God would do things looks like and completely flips, does a 180, flips it upside down and says, God's ways are different. You know, you folk, we focus our humanity to be the greatest person in the world and yet God, and lift ourselves up, but God wants us to take ourselves down a peg and act and be the servants of the world. Matthew brings forth that, hey, you know what? He is the king, the Lord, the, the reign of David, the sole heir to that throne, and he has come forth, and he invites everyone else to come forth too. We get the kingship here in the second point, looking at the chapter here in Matthew chapter 2. In fact, I'm going to turn here, and if you want to, it's turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to be reading the story of the Magi coming to Bethlehem before Christ our King. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star and its rising, and have come to pay homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem, Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are no, by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, who is the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned men from the exact time when he had seen the star. And then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they heard, had heard the king say this, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over a place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw this child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. So focusing on that very story of these astronomers, these people most likely from the Babylonian area who were probably students who had been trained by wise men, same schools that Daniel himself had taught in, and they had read these scriptures and these prophecies that were brought over when Babylon conquered the kingdom of Judah, and they took manuscripts and they built up their library. 
these learned men, these wise men, said this is something important that we need to be a part of. And so they set out to pay homage to this new Judean king. In fact, they walk right in, walk in, they their big procession of however many wise men there were. We always talk about how we, these three kings, which let's be honest, nobody knows how many. There could have been two, there could have been 20. We don't know. We traditionally hold three people. We put them in our little manger scenes because there were three gifts. So we just describe all those, so one to each person. But what's important is that Epiphany presents to us the calling of not merely a chosen few, but all nations to Christianity. In fact, uh, Thomas Aquinas, one of the early uh, apologists in the ancient church fathers, actually wrote in his fifth article in uh, his book and teachings on, when discussing the revelation of Christ, whether Christ's birth should have been manifested by means of angels or star, and he gets goes forward to impart these syllogisms. As knowledge is imparted through a syllogism from something which we offer, which we know better, so knowledge is given by signs, must be conveyed through the things which are familiar to those to whom the knowledge is imparted. Now it is clear that the righteous have through the spirit of a prophecy a certain familiarity with the interior instinct of the Holy Ghost and are wont to be taught thereby without the guidance of sensible signs. Whereas others occupied with material things are led through the dominion of the senses to that of the intellect. The Jews, however, were accustomed to receiving divine answers through the angels, through whom they also received the law. According to Acts 7.53, who have received the law by the dispensation of angels, and Gentiles, especially astrologers, were wont to observe the course of the stars, and therefore Christ's birth was made known to the righteous the Simeon Anna by the interior instinct of the Holy Spirit according to Luke. He had received an answer from the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Christ of, of the Lord. But to the shepherds and magi as being occupied with material things, Christ's birth was made known by the means of visible appearances. And since the birth was not only earthly, but also in a way heavenly to both shepherds and magi, it is revealed through the heavenly signs. For as Augustine says in a sermon on Epiphany, the angels inhabit the stars adorn, the heavens by both therefore do the heavens show forth the glory of God. Moreover, it was not without reason that Christ's birth was made known by the means of angels to the shepherds who being Jews were accustomed to frequent appropriations of the angels whereas the revealed by the means of the star the magi were wont to consider the heavenly bodies because as Christendom says 
our Lord designed to call them through the things which they were accustomed. There is also another reason, for as Gregory says in his homily in Evangelist, to the Jews as rational beings, it is fitting that rational animal, i.e. an angel, should preach, whereas the Gentiles who were unable to come to knowledge of God through the reason were led to God not by words, but by signs. And as our Lord, when he was able to speak, was announced by heralds who spoke so before, he... Sorry spoke for so before he could speak he was manifested by speechless elements again there is yet another reason for as Augustine and Pope Leo says in a sermon on the epiphany to Abraham who was promised an innumerable progeny begotten not carnal propagation but also fruitfulness of faith for this reason it is compared to the multitude of stars that a heavenly progeny might be hoped for. Wherefore, the Gentiles who are thus designated by the stars are by the rising of a new star stimulated to seek Christ through whom they are made the seed of Abraham. And that comes right out of Aquinas' Summa Theologica and his apologies for uh, the nativity. So, through that big mouthful and deep theological breakdown, and I do love the readings of or the writings of Aquinas because he does take you through that whole thought pattern of how he arrives at his conclusion. This kind of also brings us back to when we talked a few weeks ago about how Aquinas or how uh, we discussed. Is it possible to worship God in ignorance? And in ignorance of worshiping God, can we worship the devil as well? We kind of reflect it as worship is intentional, and therefore we are not going to be intention. We cannot, therefore, accidentally worship Satan when we're worshiping God. And here we can look at Aquinas' breakdown of how he sees this that whole question himself in the discussion of how God reveals himself to others. The divinity of that star bringing forth the kingship of that Messiah and the light of the earth to come. That light being a fulfillment of Isaiah 42 6, 49 6, 52 10, Isaiah 60 verse 3, uh, we won't go into those chapters today, but I encourage you to read that whole section, 42 through 60, which is the calling forth of God, of the Gentiles into the promises of Israel, in which God talks about how Israel was set up to be the shining city on a hill, to be the beacon that is going to go forth into the world and bring people to say, hey, awesome stuff, man. I this this God thing that you're talking about, who is this Yahweh? I kind of want to get to know him. Like because of your testimony and because of what I see him doing to 
for you guys here for the reason that you guys are different. That's what we are coming to do. And we talk today. Isn't that the purpose as Christians? What we are supposed to be doing as believers in Messiah, in our Judeo-Christian faith? We are to be that counter-cultural, that difference in Revelation and show forth something, a light that is going to bring people to God. And then when Christ comes himself, he's coming forth being that beacon of light, the star that leads people before to God to say, Hey, this is awesome. This, this God, we want to be a part of this Yahweh, this covenant God of Israel, this God, the one true God who is the creator of the world. Closely linked to both of these themes is the divine manifestation and world kingship is the third idea running through the Epiphany Feast, and that is the light. Think about when we went through our Advent series over the past few weeks, looking forward to the coming of our King, to how we as followers of this King are going to display forth his light and his character. And we took time to focus on five kingdom characters. And then last week I talked about how to capitalize all that off with the love of God. So what are we doing? Well, we're going forth and being that light in a world that is in darkness. The people who were praying and waiting in darkness with the expectation of the coming light thousands of years and that Christmas, the light shone forth, but dimly seen only by a few around the crib. Mary and Joseph, shepherds, but at Epiphany, that we don't just have the tiny nativity scene. We have people from all over the world coming to this king and then going forth throughout that world to spread that news of this king. It is the fulfillment of Gentiles how Gentiles shall walk in thy light and the brightness of thy rising. Finally, we get to the royal nuptials, which is the concept of Christ with humanity and salvation for all. This is what Christ coming forth brings. It's that Christ not only came forth as a human to deal, dwell among us, to live among us, to be God with us, but that he initiates a new kingdom of people, both physical and spiritual, and he's coming back later to set up that physical kingdom. So I think it's important that while some Christian cultures mark Epiphany with major celebrations, and as Protestants, we mostly celebrate the date as the official end of the Christmas season. The date also marks the beginning of the Epiphany Tide, or as in other circles, and as one of the pastors who I quoted earlier said in a quote, that the date also marks the beginning of the Epiphanytide or the Sundays after Epiphany, a liturgical period that lasts from January 6th until the day before Ash Wednesday in February, which marks the first day of, of Lent. We recognize the importance of Jesus coming in his humanity and manifestation of God in drawing all peoples to himself.
Another thing that I think is interesting to take with us is the importance of what these Magi brought forth when they came to Bethlehem to, to lift up this king. They found three things, and Thomas Aquinas notates the importance of these gifts. First, being the namely royal dignity that he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and therefore they offer gold as tribute. The greatness of his priesthood as both priest and king in the order of Melchizedek, we see it represented, therefore, in the frankincense for his sacrifice. And man's mortality, because he was the ultimate sacrifice, therefore by the gift of myrrh. So, as we get ready to close out this season, I want to ask you one question. What gifts do we bring to our king? How are we laying forth to bestow what our God and king is doing for us? How do we lay our lives forth to him to say, Father and King, I serve you. Here is what I offer to you to grow up, to bring us forth closer to Christ. And when we get there and when we encounter God, what change of what we brought to him, what change are we leaving our encounter with God with? So how, when we leave that encounter with Christ, are we different from when we came in to meet Christ? One uh, person who I've read, been reading over the last year who uh, has written and challenged me immensely, uh, he is Bishop Robert Barron out in Santa Barbara, California. He brings a lot of really good insights, uh, especially because he brings a whole different lens than I have when looking at the scriptures. And I definitely encourage you, if you don't read people that you can disagree with, then go ahead and take your mind and open it up. Stop sitting in your little circle of closed-mindedness and expand and say, okay, well, how do I look at this from a different angle? How can I grow? Because you can only grow so much when by listening to people you agree with. So whether you agree with some Catholic priests and whether you even think Catholics are Christians or not, that's a whole nother conversation that you can go back to our Reformation Day conversation and get my opinion on that. I want to read you one of the, his comments here that I found very interesting. So who were the Magi? In this chapter, we're introduced to wise men, often described as Magi or astrologers who are seeking out a foreign king. In many ways, this is a microcosm of God's plan for humanity. The Old Testament reveals how God chose Israel to be especially his own, a priestly people, a holy nation. But the reason for this choice was not to glorify Israel over against the other nations. Rather, it was to make of Israel a beacon to the world so that through Israel, all might be gathered to himself. Similarly, the wise men are seeking a king born for the Jews, but he wouldn't be the Jews alone. The Messiah would be the king of kings, a light to all nations. 
How wonderful that the sign of this king's birth should be a star, something that can be seen clearly in every nation, from any nation. And when the Magi saw it, they were willing to leave their own country behind. Then, after greeting the newborn king, they went back to their own country, but they went back by a different route. This is a biblical sign that they were changed. They would remain Babylonians, but they had become citizens of a higher country. They couldn't return by the same path. And so, therefore, how can we ourselves return the same path? How do we come to Christ doing the same old thing over and over again with repentance and then go forth and fall victim to the same problems once and again? How do we let our hearts become callous when we're walking with the King? Brothers and sisters, as we get ready to close this this uh, Christmas season, as we encounter God once again this year, as we start a new year of 2021, what are we going to do that makes us look a little different than who we were last year? What are we going to do that shows that we, as believers who have come in contact with Christ, need to go forth and do? How do we, who have brought our gifts and laid them at the altar of Christ, come back a changed person to go forth as the evangelists and the heralds of the new kingdom of God to bring forth to this world the importance of the message of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, I want to leave you with that thought today. How will I be different today? How will I go into this world as someone changed by the love and miracles of God to bring others to display the king who has made of me someone worthy. So brothers and sisters, may Yahweh bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and give you his perfect peace. Go in Christ and go in grace. Shalom.